0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
1: On this week's episode, we have Lachlan, Hi, I, and Justin. This week we're looking at some innovative new ways to fight fire with fire and look at some fantastic new cancer treatments. Ways to detect cancer using man's best friend, as well as solving the riddle of a mysterious disease that might be related to airborne fungi and how it's helping save children's lives.
0: And now we launch into our launchpad news segment.
1: So we understand that in our world that there's some certain things that can be useful, like we can fight fire with fire. But what we're going to be talking about now is actually a literal example of a fighting fire with more fire of just, a different type. Just, just a, not a literal example. Look, I tell you that in, I understand what you're saying in terms of the analogy that I'm making being quite poor in the selection of words. But what I'm talking about is, okay, maybe not fighting fire with fire, but by fighting fire with a bomb by exploding the building that the fire is living in, it does solve the fire problem. Or instead of using
0: a tired and stretched analogy... We could say we're using a certain disease to cure other diseases. Yes, well, that would be the more logical way, but less entertaining of explaining what is going on. Great. Because what we have is um, scientists in the US this week have actually um, managed to cure a lady's cancer
1: by infecting her with measles. Okay, so run this by me a little bit in more detail. What exactly is measles? And what exactly is the type of cancer that we're talking about here? So what exactly is the measles, and what are we talking about when we talk about the measles vaccine? So measles is a virus um, that
0: infects the body's own immune cells. You know those cells that try and fight the body against infection? Yep. They can actually get infected as well. Oh, <laughs> that's That's useful. It's really useful because when they get targeted, and if they get taken down, it actually means that the body as a whole is more susceptible to other diseases. Yeah, so basically they, they take out the police and then everyone can come into to party. Yeah, now it's riot. It's riot town. It, it gets really, really violent in that. So yeah, and this is sort of characterised... Um, so if you attack the immune cells of the body, um, you attack the lymph nodes, Yep. which are small sort of patches um, all throughout your body. So... You get a lot of swelling, you get a lot of puffiness and oozing. oozing. Um, your whole body sort
1: of gets really, really sore and run down and you get a lot more um, prone to other infections. Right, and measles is one of the viruses that we actually have created a successful vaccine for. Yes. Most people have been immunised against measles. That's right, yes. This measles vaccine, generally we, 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 we give to people, but how are they using this measles vaccine to fight
0: cancer? Um, this patient... Um, had a type of cancer called multiple myeloma. Right. And that is cancer of the bone marrow, which, again, is, is cancer of the immune system. Because and it's a
1: very serious type of cancer as well.
0: Yes, yes. it's, fi- it's quite difficult to treat. Yes, and it spreads very easily and, and can sort of get a lot of new business. So yes. it can be really, really bad. Um, but what's really, really interesting is this cancer affected um, the immune cells of the body and the malaria also affects the immune cells of the body. And so what they've actually done is normally you need about 10,000
1: virus particles to vac- vaccinate someone. Right. So when we give, so to explain how a vaccine works, generally what we do is we inject someone with a basically a, a stripped out of the version of the original thing, and say, hey, this is what you need to kill kill it. So you train your body to respond to it. So in the measles vaccine, you give someone 10,000 units of these stripped out measles viruses, so the body knows how to fight them. And in this case, how many do they give her? Uh, they gave her a hundred billion. That is ridiculous. It is actually ridiculous.
0: Um, and so they infected her. See, they gave her a hundred billion infectious units. And for some reason, that actually made her tumour go away. She experienced a headache, and then soon the big tumour on her forehead disappeared and her bone marrow got better. Well, no wonder she had a headache. The measles was basically eating the tumour in her forehead. Well, it's funny you say that, Justin, because depending on the type of vaccine, you either have um, attuned or wholesale vaccines. Yep. We don't infect people with actual viruses. No, no. You that would make you, them sick. Yeah, you strip out the actual negative parts of the thing and just leave the rough shape. That's right. It's so like it's sending it's, a cardboard cutout of a bad guy for the police to train with. That's actually, yeah, that's a really, really good analogy. Um, I can make good analogies sometimes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, normally you either give them like a dead version of the virus, so actually dead, but just particles of it. So they know what it looks like. Or as you said, they give a cardboard cutout. But it looks like the, 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 shape of the virus was still alive and so convincing it could actually integrate itself in with the cancer. Mm. And so it taught the body to associate the cancer with the fact, with the, with, with
1: the, the threat measles that I was trying to kill. Yeah. Yeah. And it fought it. And that's, that's phenomenal. So we're saying that this lady's treatment, um, was quite successful. She went into remission for nine months. After having a very aggressive, very dangerous cancer and tumour, um, which meant that when the when the tumour, di- the cancer did come back, uh, they were able to treat it in a much more localized way, in a much smaller, easier to manage way with radiotherapy, and you know save her life. And um, a second study actually says they can
0: actually track the spread of measles. Um, as the measles spreads throughout the body,
1: it actually starts attacking the tumours and shrinking them. Mm. Now, obviously, this is a, they're talking about one specific case here that they tried this with with one lady. Um, However, they've they've tried it on a second case and they weren't as successful with this attempt at therapy. But it may be a certain case of the individual type of cancer that they're trying to actually attack here, or something to do with the the actual response in that individual person who had a particularly strong immune system, for example. But it just goes to show some of the fascinating work we can do by repurposing techniques that we have from other areas and using them to help in the fight against cancer. So across Asia and the Pacific region there's a disease that's quite or well, can be prevalent in young children that can cause to all kinds of issues um, in their basically in their skin, in their in their bodies, but specifically in their hearts, which can lead to inflammation in their hearts and can be quite fatal. And this disease is called Kawasaki disease. It's named after the, the discoverer, Tomisaku Kawasaki, M D, first found in Japan in nineteen sixty seven. And it's been a mystery for doctors and medical research for 50-60 years since its discovery. Well, so what causes this, this disease, Justin? And that's what actually people don't know and don't understand very well. This disease, which can cause very serious issues, especially in children, it, it can is also the most common cause of acquired heart disease. So basically, children who expo, who catch this disease often go on to acquire significant heart problems, which can be, in young children, particularly deadly. And it's going to be heart, heart attacks, heart failures, and sudden death. And it's the rates of people catching um, Kawasaki disease has been increasing, especially in Asia and the United States. And the reason why this is so worrying is that they can't actually find out what is actually causing this, this disease to actually happen. And more importantly, what these children are being exposed to that's giving them this disease. Well,
0: what normally causes disease, Justin, would be an infection or it would be an environmental factor like air pollution or something like that.
1: Yeah, and so pursuing these two lines of thought, there are basically two major competing theories, one that says that some sort of environmental factor that they get infected with, another is that there's a larger type of air pollution or something contaminant that they're exposed to. And so some researchers have recently done some analysis to test just that. So researchers in Japan, along with researchers from the University of California in San Diego and researchers from the Catalan Institution for Research in, uh, in Spain, have been looking at what's actually going on here. And from the, universe, from the Catalan Institution for Research, they've actually done some fantastic climate modelling. And what they've actually picked up is that there's a correlation and a very strong correlation of that with the increase in Kawasaki disease rates in Japan with certain wind patterns in Asia. So what they're actually really exploring is what is actually happening um, in the country at the time. And then they found, okay, well, we've had this increase in rates of Kawasaki disease in Japan or these other countries. What else was going on in the climate when that happened? And what they've actually found is it's some really, really interesting, strong upper atmosphere wind patterns that are coming from um, China. And they've done some significant climate modeling to actually really explore this So when they modeled the climate, what they actually found is that the peaks in the the epidemic of Kawasaki disease in Japan only happened when there was a really um, strong wind coming from this densely cultivated densely farmed region in northeastern China that produces a lot of cereal there's massive amounts of farmland so in Japan, all these kids were catching or developing Kawasaki disease only when these really strong winds were blowing from northeastern China. And that's really, really interesting because it's suggesting that something has happened in the air from these farmlands, something is being aerosolized that's then carrying in these winds to Japan and other places in southeast Asia and affecting the children. Well, this would be a problem where a multidisciplinary approach is really, really powerful,
0: Justin, because you can analyse the way the winds spread also, you have to analyse how the actual disease itself spreads and manifests, and also what the actual cause of it could be. So a pathologist or a microbiologist. So That's right.
1: And so the people who did the, the climate modelling were from the Catalan Institute of Climate Sciences. The people who actually went and tested the air samples to try and pick up if there was any change in them were from the National Institute for Environmental Science in Tsubaca in Japan. They actually found you know, there was a presence of um, contaminants in the air in these air patterns at the time that these strong winds were blowing from these regions in China. And what they were finding, they, they, they subjected it to really detailed microbiological analysis in Columbia University in New York to actually really try and put together. And what they found is that there are, there's a, a real unusual type of dominant airborne fungus that's found there and not anywhere else. And so what, they, what their current area of research and investigation is suggesting that there is some sort of um, fungus or something that has been aerosol, aerosolized in the process of farming in this area in China that is then carrying across in the upper atmosphere winds to Japan and then to other places that is causing the response in these children to develop Kawasaki disease. So the type of specific fungus that they're looking at is the candida fungus, which they're finding has been aerosolized in these these samples. And it's a a type of yeast, really, and it's one of the most common causes of human fungus infections.
0: Yeah, it's actually really, really common in fungal infections, but what's really scary is this is a strain of it that can actually get on the winds and
1: travel being, across the across the world
0: yeah and it's also harmful when you inhale
1: it yeah so um, the the pre- the wind patterns that carry it from northeastern china to japan really it, when that happens it lines up with the time that it's the, the growing it's the peak of the growing season so it's it's fortuitous in that it's the wind patterns at the right time plus it's the peak of the growing season and what's really inter- interesting about Kawasaki disease is that there's a really short um incubation time so when you're first exposed to the disease and before it actually starts you start exhibiting fi- symptoms such as fever or, or, or likewise it's only about a 24hour period so it's got quite a rapid on onset
0: because normally sicknesses take about 72 hours to enter the body colonize and actually mount an immune response and
1: you normally only start to feel sick when your body is actually starting to fight the infection that's right and so what it suggests is that it's not actually a traditional infectious organism. But some kind of toxin that you're actually ingesting that um, triggers the autoimmune, the host's immune response really quickly, specifically in children that are genetically susceptible to it. So, in this case, it's not just that the, the there's this mysterious fungus that's being spread across the wind, the children that are getting sick and catching Kawasaki disease are the ones that are less genetically inclined to be able to defend themselves against it. So, everyone is being exposed to it by these high altitude winds, but Only the kids that are developing Kawasaki disease are the ones who actually have this genetic susceptibility.
0: So this Kawasaki case is an example about how in the real world with real problems, you often need to have scientists from different disciplines working together. So in this case, we found out that it was something in the wind that was making the kids sick. So we had to analyse what's actually making them sick, how do the winds travel, and then also what genetic factors... Um, come into the uh, which kids are actually getting sick. So there are so many different areas
1: of understanding that need to overlap in order to solve this problem. And it really shows the strength of multi- multidisciplinary science and what you can achieve when you get many people from different diverse areas together to attack a major problem.
0: So Justin, you know how dogs are man's best friend. Yes. What if I could tell you that canines have actually been used to
1: diagnose against cancers that affect a lot of men? I would be quite impressed because, you know, obviously this just further establishes dogs as man's best friend because you do not hear about cats curing cancer, despite the fact that they both start with C. Clearly cats lift your game. But what hasn't happened here, we, we haven't actually treated a dog,
0: taught a dog to do cancer research. That oh, would be incredible. Oh. Dr. Dog... Doctor Dog. Did you Come read that? As a yes. it was
1: such a good book. No. Doggy Hauser MD. <laughs> that was a really bad mid nineties reference to um, Neil Patrick Harris's star childhood actor TV show.
0: If you have to explain the reference, it wasn't worth making. So what's actually happened here, Justin, is so it's not a dog doctor, but it's using dog's incredible sense of smell right to differentiate between patients that do and don't have prostate cancer. Well, hang hang on a second. We're talking about prostate cancer here. So can you give us an overview of what
1: actually is prostate cancer first?
0: So prostate cancer is is cancer of the prostate, which is an organ involved in the male urogenital and reproductive sort of area. Um, And it's actually quite a widespread cancer, almost as widespread as breast cancer is
1: in women. And so it actually affects the majority of men by the time they die. Right, so it's something that men often are warned, especially older men age over 45 plus generally to get prostate exam, to check it out, to be aware of. It can be treated much the same way the breast cancer can be treated, but it is something that is often quite prevalent in men. That's right. And um, one of the advantages of
0: diagnosing um, prostate cancer using this new treatment um, is the fact that because it's part of the urogenital system, um, if these cells are going bad, like so cancer makes cells go crazy basically, yep. Um, is that they're producing really, really volatile um, organic compounds, almost like um, petrols. Right. And so they're producing almost like um, hydrocarbon or petrol fumes in really
1: trace amounts in urine. Wow, okay, wow. So it's basically developing, really, hydrocarbons are quite complex as well in, in chemical nature, as opposed to the general... The general byproducts in urine, you know, generally we have salts and other things. Like and urea, exactly. Yeah. So
0: having big, long hydrocarbon chains is actually, is quite complex. And it's quite easy for dogs to actually distinguish. So um, some researchers at the Humanities Research Hospital in Milan have actually trained um, basically the
1: same as police dogs. Yep, um, dogs have a, a tremendous sense of smell and they use them for not only search and rescue, but also to detect chemicals, trace chemicals in areas to determine if it's safe from large mine sites or industrial accidents as well. So in a similar way, they're training these these dogs to actually pick up these complex hydrocarbons. That's right. And that means instead of needing um, invasive um, diagnostic techniques... Yep, because prostate cancer is, is something that often many are reluctant to uh, to get tested for because it's either a blood test or an exam, which can be quite invasive and, and worrying for people to, to go and do so people are less likely to get tested.
0: That's right. And blood blood um, analysis isn't actually as much of a gold standard as people think. Yep. There are false positives in that mm. as well. But I'm using this analysis where um, dogs are actually sniffing the urine of, of patients with a really, really, really high success rate. They can actually determine um, the healthy from people who have prostate cancer. So what kind of statistics and performance are we talking about here compared to other tests? Okay, so um, let's say um, a blood test will have a confidence rating of about 90%. Okay. Um, these dogs on average have about 98%. So a 98% success rate predicting... People with cancer as having cancer and predicting people without cancer as not having cancer. Wow, okay, that's that's that's
1: a very high comparative success rate.
0: So that's like true positives and and and, and true negatives. Um and so there are actually other things that we can also train these dogs to do. They've they've tried some other things. They can actually smell to see if patients have lung cancer. Okay. Um and they can also, they're starting to learn how to detect if people have diabetes by Uh, Often people with diabetes have like a fruity smell on their breath, Um, and dogs can actually detect that in really minute amounts and predict people who have diabetes before it's become a full-blown thing.
1: So what this is really doing is further establishing dogs as clearly man and woman's best friend by helping us in the fight against cancer. So cats, dolphins, giraffes, other animals, you're going to have to lift your game if you want to maintain your standing as good pets for humanity. Um, But what I find most fascinating about this is it's another way to help improve and learn um, new techniques to improve our understanding of cancer and ways to detect it earlier through some more unorthodox methods. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we're looking at some innovative new ways to fight fire with fire and look at some fantastic new cancer treatments, ways to detect cancer using man's best friend, as well as solving the riddle of a mysterious disease that might be related to airborne fungi and how it's helping save children's lives.
0: Our ending theme was composed by Audio Anatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.